And welcome to a special episode of the Drunken UX Podcast. I am your host, Michael Feenan, and if you're waiting for somebody else to chime in, you're going to be waiting a little while. I happen to be flying solo this week. This Consider this our little Halloween trick for, the, for this month. Uh, Aaron is currently either in a car or on a plane. I'm not entirely sure which one at this point, but he's currently traveling for work. And we were talking about the guests that we've got lined up for the end of the season and a couple more topics we want to cover. And rather than bending them to accommodate one host, I decided that I wanted to do a a shorter episode in service to a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. So I'm going to get to that in just a second. First and foremost, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsors over at Porkbun. If you're looking for a new domain name for a website, a project, or a portfolio, and you're interested in a .design domain name, go run by Porkbun.com. When you check out, use the coupon code DRUNKENUX, you'll get a year free of a .design domain name. So go check them out. If you see them on Twitter or Facebook, give them a shout out. Tell them that you appreciate them supporting the, uh, the show because they help make all of this possible. If you want to follow us, you can check us out on Twitter or Facebook. We are at slash drunken UX. You can also get us on Instagram at slash drunken UX podcast. Check us out any of those places. Follow us. We share stuff out. We do giveaways. We do all of these little things to hopefully make your day a little bit better. Uh, if you ever want to get a hold of us, you can certainly let us know through those channels. We are on Slack at drunkenux.com slash Slack, or you can use the contact form on our site. We are lining up topics and guests for Season 3, and we would love to hear what you would like to hear us talk about. This evening, as with always, I do have a nice drink to go with my little chat. Uh, Tonight, I'm actually taking a a slightly different uh, road. While I am drinking scotch, um, I am drinking Lagavulin 16. If you're familiar with Nick Offerman... Uh, he talks about Lagavulin a lot. If you watch uh, Parks and, Rec- and Recreation, for instance, um, Lagavulin 16 is his drink of choice. Um, it is an Isla scotch, which is something I don't normally drink. Um, I'm not a big fan of Isla because they tend to be a little bit strong for my palate. Um, but Lagavulin 16, very nice, very refined, very smoky but lacking in some of the sort of iodine medicinally flavor that you would associate with like a Laphroaig or an Ardbeg. Uh, so this is something it's, it's, you can chew on it. That's, the, I think, the best way to, to put it. Um, it's got a very pungent but strong smoky flavor that is actually really nice to just kind of sit with and sip on. Um, it also keeps you awake real nice when you're recording late at night. So uh, if you want to check it out, uh, I... I can't really uh, recommend it enough. It's worth trying once to see how you feel about it. Um, maybe not the best starting point if you're unfamiliar with scotch, but um, if you've had some other scotch and you like that in general, this is maybe one to go try it out if you haven't uh, had a chance. I actually had a lot of fun with this. I took this particular bottle with me um, when I went to High Ed Web here a few weeks ago, and uh, we did a little scotch and whiskey tasting there, and this was part of that uh, part of that actually had a couple folks who had said you know they don't normally enjoy that really hard smoky scotch but this was one that 
they were able to uh to to sip on and, and they liked. So uh, this is what I've got tonight, and I'm not going to be able to kill this bottle in this sitting, but maybe uh, over the next couple episodes, I'll I'll uh, sip on it with y'all. Now, with all that done, I think I've got all the housekeeping out of the way. I'm going to try to keep myself straight. One thing that's happening tonight is I'm flying without a net. Uh, I didn't write show notes. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm going to be covering here, but I didn't throw together structured show notes because this is going to be very stream of conscious. So it's going to be a little bit different feel, I think, from our normal episodes, and hopefully you enjoy it. If you do, let me know, and we'll see about maybe making this a more regular occurrence. But for tonight, I just want to talk with y'all starting out with a piece of news that came out of Google. Now, this is just our normal little warmer topic, and I just want to let you know about it because it is an important piece of information. This is going to be uh, covering the next three releases of Chrome. That's Chrome 79, 80, and 81. If you remember a few months ago, there was some news about uh, Chrome starting to enforce mixed content blocking and uh, alerting users when websites were loaded over HTTP. That's insecure connections versus HTTPS. There, whether or not you feel good about that, or you were, you know, if you saw that hullabaloo, part of the complaint was that people were worried that insecure sites would be viewed as unsafe, which isn't always the case. Uh, the way Google was sort of messaging that to users and alerting them in the browser, that, you know, it, it it had a very negative connotation associated with it. But in Google's defense, they have been pushing this issue of security very hard for some time now. So what they're doing is sort of like Apple. Think about the way Apple has approached upgrades and updates for some time. They're not afraid to look at a piece of equipment or a piece of hardware, an old iPhone or something, and say, you know what, we don't care. We're, give, we're doing this update come hell or high water, and if it breaks something on that device, we're not supporting it anymore, and that's tough. We're going to move ahead for the sake of advancing the goals that we have. That's kind of what Google's doing here. So they started blocking mixed content some time back. Mixed content, if you're not familiar with that term, is basically loading a web page with HTTPS, but it has insecure resources being loaded to it. So we're talking CSS, JavaScript, maybe an iframe, a video embed that loads over HTTP. It's basically like putting a window in your bank vault is kind of what this amounts to. You get this secure connection that gets compromised because of an insecure resource that gets loaded. So if somebody's loading JavaScript from a remote resource that's not secure, that JavaScript can basically hijack information and pass it away from the site. Basically, not a good thing. So what they're doing, this starts in December with Chrome 79. The first step they're going to roll out is the ability for users to selectively whitelist certain sites. This in particular could be useful if you are a developer and you're working on a local environment and you have sites that you're working on that maybe have mixed content simply for the purposes of development. It, useful in that situation or if you trust a certain website and you're not concerned about those, uh, those security requirements. Personally, wouldn't whitelist sites for that. It is... Uh, good practice that if there is mixed content, you let it be blocked, but they will be allowing users to whitelist selectively uh, through the browser, starting with Chrome 79. That said, Chrome 80 is going to bring into play the feature, I, I will call it a feature of the browser. Uh, what's going to happen is if it runs into media, that's audio, that's video, 
that is being loaded over HTTP, it will automatically try and load it over HTTPS first. If that fails, then it is going to block it. So think of this like if you've got an old YouTube embed. Um, YouTube has used HTTPS for ages at this point. And so if you go get an embed code from their website or copy a video URL, it's always going to be HTTPS. But maybe you've got an old one that isn't. What will happen is Chrome will see that. It will try to load it over a secure connection. And if it can, it will. If it doesn't, then it's going to be blocked. The same will also happen with images at that point. If it, it will still allow them to load in the case of images. Audio, video, it's blocking them. Images, it will allow in Chrome 80, but it will show the not secure badge up in the upper left-hand corner. In Chrome 81, they will try to auto-upgrade the image URLs to HTTPS, but at that point, if it can't do it, it will block everything that isn't whitelisted. So they're basically trying to enforce HTTPS on secure connections whenever possible. Call this good, call this bad. I'm not calling it anything. I'm not going to pass judgment on the feature, but I do want people to know that this is something that is coming and it may affect your websites. This is a perfect opportunity. If you're loading your website over HTTPS, make sure that the resources you're loading, the images, the JavaScript, the CSS, make sure you're including those securely as well. If you're loading them from third-party sources in particular, make sure you stop and go check those to make sure they're loading correctly. If you're using WordPress, there are some good plugins. Uh, we'll link a couple of those that will try to auto-upgrade uh, links within your content and in your theme to HTTPS by default. Um, it's a basic find and replace kind of tool uh, as the page loads. So be sure to check those out. We'll have links to those tools. I'll link the uh, blog post from Chromium. Um, I'll link a couple news articles there. Go check that out at drunkenux.com and let us know what you think about them automatically trying to upgrade connections to HTTPS. Okay, so I said this episode was going to refer to a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and this is something that goes back years, at least for me. Um, I recently just got back from High Ed Web, and I had some sit-down time with several folks, and this conversation came up. If you uh, are, if you follow me on Twitter, um, you've probably seen me tweet about this very recently. I wrote a very small little post on my blog at Finan.com about this. I'll link that in the show notes for anybody who wants to go read it. What this centers on are three very simple words. Do less better. Do less better is something that I started uh, pushing back. I, the earliest reference I found to it in some of my writing was back in 2012, so that's about seven years ago. I think I was doing it before that, but that was the first time I really codified it in some form of writing that I could go back and reference. When I wrote that originally, it was in an article, I was still writing for higher ed, and there was a topic that was going around, because one thing that higher ed was really big on at that point, um, you know, we're, we were six years into a lot of this stuff at Pitt State, um, you know, schools were getting a handle on Twitter and on Facebook and YouTube and all of these different places. They were learning how to use them. They were learning how to use them strategically. And more tools were starting to pop up. The big one that was starting to hit for places in 2012 was Pinterest. And so one of the constant conversations I was seeing in groups were 
other folks who are working at universities asking for advice for how to integrate Pinterest into their strategic initiatives and marketing. They were wanting to promote the university. They were thinking, how do we do this with Pinterest? Everybody's using Pinterest. We have to use Pinterest too. We can figure this out. My response to most of those folks was to do less better. The reality of the situation was for most universities, they were still, they were using Twitter. They were using Facebook. They existed in those spaces. Uh, many of them existed on YouTube, but they hadn't completely figured out yet how to really leverage them. They were still figuring out the advertising on Facebook. They were still figuring out media production for YouTube. They were still figuring out engagement practices with Twitter. Um, you know, measuring sentiment and all of this kind of stuff was still a very new concept for everybody. And as often happens when you've got a lot of administrators, a whole lot of managers, a lot of money involved, there's this ooh shiny mentality that tended to come up with tools. And so when this conversation came up, this idea of, oh God, let's go to another social media platform and operate our website there, I put my foot down in these conversations because I said, you know, until you are engaging in the spaces you already exist and you're doing it as well as you possibly can, why are you spreading yourself thinner by going to other places that you'll only be able to do barely okay? So that was where this came from. And I have over the years used this phrase over and over and over. Um, I'm sitting here talking to you right now. I've been thinking about I need to get the hashtag do less better tattooed on my arm. But let's face it, I'm a 37-year-old man at this point, and a tattoo of a hashtag might be a little passe. Uh, that's okay. As the years have gone on, I've thought about this, and, and I have kept it very close to me. And it's something that I say a lot, and I've used this phrase a lot. But I have found in my own practice, I was not very good at it. And in the last few months in particular, I have uh, really been thinking about this and how I apply it to myself, um, not just to my web development, but to my overall work life, to my overall home life, um, to my social engagements. And the more I commit to it, the better off I feel I am. So I want to spend the rest of this episode talking about how I've done this, how you should do it or can do it, um, and why that is a value. Let's talk about the podcast. I want to talk about something very um, directly relevant. You're listening to it now. Um, and so there's a, a way this has applied to this very show. Now, first and foremost, I said this is going to be a shorter show because it doesn't need to be long. Um, I'm, I'm just talking. I, I've got a couple websites pulled up in front of me because I want to reference a couple names and make sure I get them right. But outside of that, no show notes. I'm just doing what I, comes to mind. Uh on top of that, with the podcast, if you go back, rewind to the end of season one um, and the very start of season two, we discussed two other segments that you haven't heard in a long time. Those are real-time overview and build process. They aren't dead, although it may seem that way. Uh, at the end of last season, I had commented on uh, how I wanted to approach those and what my plans for them were. The reality was those segments took an enormous amount of time to produce, even though they were incredibly short. At our peak, this, this podcast was producing up to eight segments every month between this core show and then a weekly real-time overview and a monthly build process episode. That's a lot. 
That's a whole lot of media production. And that's a lot of media production for somebody who has a full-time job, has a side company, and has other things that they're involved with. And so my goal was to slow down and do less of that. The reality is doing less of it actually turned into doing none of it. Not because I didn't enjoy it. Not because they didn't do well. Um, quite frankly, real-time overview in particular, the numbers on that particular segment were fantastic. I think in part because it was short, uh, it was easy to engage with, and people enjoyed that format. But for me, me personally, it was just very hard to commit to that much extra work. And it was starting to compromise the quality of those segments, in my mind at least, and even the quality of this show, because finding the time for all of those things to get everything recorded every week um, was very labor-intensive. So in, in my mind, I originally thought, I will do those less. Less turned into none, and I'm okay with that. Uh, we've kind of incorporated real-time overview a little bit into this show, We've started doing a, a segment every once in a while where we will just cover three topics over the course of the show, and that comes very much from the spirit of real-time overview. Um, and in fact, in our own analytics, uh, two of our top ten episodes, uh, or actually I think two of our top five episodes, are those little potpourri uh, kind of uh, segments. So I do see that influence in the way we've changed, but... It was important to me to make sure that we were doing the best we could with this show and, and making sure that we weren't compromising the overall quality. Uh, as we have rounded out Season 2, you might have noticed our episodes are getting a little shorter. That is intentional. Uh, I enjoy an hour and a half long show, me personally. You don't. Uh, you, the listeners, I, I am able to see the listener analytics, and there's a lot of drop-off by the end of an hour and a half, and rightly so. That's a long episode. And while we do try to keep that engaging and interesting and fill that time, realistically, it's just too much. It's too long. And so we are working on shortening that. By shortening it, I can do a lot of other things. I can make sure that what is in there is valuable every second you're listening. It, making it quicker to produce means I can make sure that we are producing the right things. Uh, it also means that you're getting the most value out of your time as well. And it also just prevents burnout. When you record an hour and a half long show, it means you really need to record closer to three hours of content. Then you need to edit all of that and review it. And one episode of the Drunken UX podcast easily takes eight, nine, ten hours of production to put together. Uh, if I can cut that down, I can do a better job with the show. And so that's a very real way that this sort of mantra is impacting what you're listening to right now, right in this second. In web development, this is so prevalent as well. Not just with social media, but with our own technology, with the things that we're approached. You know, when you think about JavaScript development, are you using Vue, Angular? React. You've got all of these different frameworks to get into, and you're trying to learn them all. And you've got CMSs. WordPress is a big deal. Are you learning WordPress with the classic editor? Are you spending time learning React and Gutenberg? Are you spending time in Drupal? If you're doing Drupal development, are you doing Gutenberg development because they're, they're porting that in as a plug-in there as well? 
Maybe you're looking at Ghost as, as an alternative to get around that. Maybe you love WordPress, you don't love Gutenberg, so you're looking at Classic Press. Maybe you're looking at PHP, but also wondering, is PHP the future, so I better go and learn some Ruby. It's exhausting, and it's hard. The reality is, the more you spread yourself, the less you can do. Uh, a, a little comment I like to throw around, technology scales. People don't. We only have so many hours in a day. Um, we referenced this actually in the last episode when we were talking about accessibility and the future of voice UIs as an accessibility tool. The thing is, using a voice UI isn't appreciably different from just calling in to customer support. But customer support is one-to-one. -one. one phone call means one human talks to one other human. With a voice UI using natural language processing, one human is talking to a computer that may be talking to a thousand other people at the exact same time. That's scale. We need to worry about how we scale as individuals. To give you an idea, uh, to throw back to what I was talking about at the start with um, Pinterest and social media and, and higher ed, one of the things I loved about getting to cut my teeth in higher ed was the fact that I, I was what I call a reservoir. Because I did everything. I was an army of one, as we like to say. That meant I was doing server administration. I was doing content writing. I was doing UI wireframing. I was doing design. I was writing HTML and CSS and JavaScript and Java. I did all of that while managing our social media platforms 24 hours a day in most cases. I was the on-call guy because there was nobody else to be on-call. I managed our search server. I did a little bit of everything, and it's fantastic because I can sit down with CSS and Google Analytics in the same day and understand all of the different things going on. That's good from a skill standpoint. It makes me very flexible. Um, I can sit down with a marketing team and my back-end DevOps group and translate very well between the two different groups, but... As a consequence, while my experience is very broad, and I certainly have areas that I do specialize in, I'm certainly not as deep as some people are. Uh, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about boot camps, and one of the things I referenced was that I'm in a boot camp now. I'm taking the time to learn better advanced JavaScript because the way I wrote JavaScript up until this point was still in a very old-school mentality. Um, I thought very synchronously and very, you know, very flow-minded in terms of my code. And I knew that that was something I needed to change. I needed some depth there. That, that reservoir, that wideness is useful. But if I want to be the best front-end developer I can be, I need to be a front-end developer now. Uh, that's a reflection of my changing responsibilities in my day job. Um, and it's a changing view of the way I look at the industry. But it's something that I encourage other people to start looking at as well. Because it's easy to always say yes. We say yes so frequently. When somebody comes in with a challenge in particular, I love being presented with a feature for the website, uh, a tool they want to build, and I want to say yes to that. Uh, because I want to take on that challenge. I want to figure out what makes it work and what would go into building this new great thing. But at the same time, I have to be cognizant that I can't spend all my time learning this new stuff and meet deadlines 
and still get the other work done that is waiting behind it. So do less better is as much about paying service to the commitments you already have as it is being respectful to your own time. When we think about projects, you know, marketing is coming up with, you know, 14 different initiatives that they need help with and they need design on. They want different landing pages for each one. They want different features, different, uh, different colors and different schemes. The broader we spread that, we reduce the effectiveness of our own designs and our own implementations because we can't commit the resources to making sure they're successful. If I have to monitor all of these different initiatives, I don't have time to A-B test them. I don't have time to check their effectiveness against each other. So this is where we start talking a lot, for instance, about design systems and pattern libraries. This is something we're focusing on uh, at work right now for me. I just got done doing a pattern audit on our, uh, our front-end website because we had a lot of things that over time were very repetitive and, and built in service to the same things, but each one was maybe a little bit different. For instance, page headers. We had a lot of different page headers because over time, the requests for different pages changed slightly. And there was nobody there running checks on how things managed in line with our previous examples. As a result, we end up managing CSS code for all of these different headers. There's JavaScript involved to do things like, you know, check height and make them look right for mobile devices um, that affect scrolling behaviors. And you end up with all of this extra technical debt that when it comes time to do a redesign or to update a layout, you have to go back through and work your way backwards through all of it. You're not doing less better. You're doing more worse. And so part of our goal is to unify these things, to identify not the seven or eight different page headers that we've got, but to make three and say these are the three and we can make some of these other use cases conform to those three without compromising the integrity of the page, without changing the messaging, without changing the meaning. But now we've reduced the amount of stuff that we need to focus on and be worried about when something needs to update or change. We know we can do it in a way that makes us confident in our work. It means we know the outcomes, we know the behaviors that are going to be involved, and it allows us to do that better. So when the next request comes in, instead of being faced with wondering, well, you know, are we going to pixel push these different features? Are we going to make this look exactly the way this random comp looks? Or are we going to use the tools in our toolbox, like Lego blocks, to put together the best page we can using the things that we know to work and the things that we've tested, the features and functionality that are already there. That allows us to make more pages. That allows us to make more transaction points and more conversions. We can look at the way we build our site and do it with confidence that we don't have otherwise. And while we may have more as a consequence, more pages, more website, the actual stuff that goes into making all of that is a smaller footprint. We know that if we change the way a people card looks, that because we've used a pattern across the whole site, we can predictively know what that impact will be. We won't have to guess. By making those patterns definitive, that's a great way to respect your time, respect your resources, and to be efficient. 
Because that's one thing that makes things so much easier when you're working with a marketing team, when you're working with a designer, when you can sit down and you've got this toolbox of design features that are already pre-made and they want to talk about, well, how do we you know, make this new landing page with two columns and this kind of paragraph and this call to action? You can sit down and start to prototype this stuff in real time with them. And in the course of half an hour, you could build a page that started out as just a, you know, a case of let's look at this and let's see what we can make out of it and get it close so that we know what we want. And by the end of that, they may be saying, you know what, that's perfect. That's exactly what we were after. This is what doing less better helps. Personally, this is a stress issue. It's an anxiety issue. It's something that I've actually had a lot of trouble acknowledging you know, as a human being uh, for a long time. I'm somebody who says yes to things. When opportunities present themselves, when I'm asked to help out with a project, even you know, well outside of web development, you know, just in, I'm engaged in my personal life with you know, our city and with our, uh, our community. And so people come to me because they know of me as a resource. That's stressful in its own way because I am a little protective of my personal time. I think about things like the podcast and the hours that I take out of my evenings to make this show a reality. And I realized I was saying yes to everything that came my way. And in the same way that you know, work and web development and code suffers when you're trying to do all the things and learn all the patterns and learn all the code, my ability to commit to different boards and different projects was beginning to be compromised. Uh, and not just in the, the quality of the output and my engagement uh, in committees and all of this stuff, but I was being compromised. Um, and this is where I, I, I say this phrase, and I don't say it lightly, but um, it, it was damaging me, quite frankly. Um, my anxiety was going up. Um, it was having a, a real and physical effect on me. Um, I'm on blood pressure medication. Uh, this is something I've, that has you know, been following me around for quite some time now, and it's not something I like. Uh, and the first time a few months ago that I sat down and I was at, in, a, in a group of people, and it was noisy, and I started having a panic response to that environment, was the moment I realized I was doing something wrong. Uh, and that's the point where things kind of turned for me. And I started thinking about this phrase, do less better, because my attempt to do everything was harming me. And it's very freeing to be able to say that and promote that. And I'm trying, I think, uh, and this may sound bad, but I'm giving you permission to do less better yourself uh, because I think people do need to hear that from other folks because we sometimes do feel that obligation. When, when other people need us, we feel an obligation to give them a part of ourselves. And we don't have to do that. Uh, in the past two weeks, I've had three different opportunities come my way, uh, and you know, they were nice deals. They weren't work-related. They, they had to do with uh, local groups and things, and I said no to all of them. And the best part of that was knowing that the sky didn't fall. I've put a lot of pressure on myself, and we feel, I, I think, 
all of us have that moment where it's like, well, I have to say yes, because if I don't do it, who will? And the answer to that question is somebody else. There is somebody else to do the thing if you don't do it. And you don't have to compromise yourself and your health and your, your mental health uh, in order to accommodate that. Because those people will still be there and, and they aren't going to lose faith in you because you decided to prioritize yourself over everything else. Because if we don't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of other people. It's the, you know, the police mantra, the firefighter mantra. I can't run into a burning building to save everybody. If it's dangerous and I hurt myself, I only create more liability for everybody. I put the people I'm trying to help in harm's way, and I'm putting everybody behind me in harm's way who then has to take care of me. And so give yourself that permission. Uh, I, this is what I wrote about in my blog post and, and this idea that we have to acknowledge that it is okay for us and for, for you, for me, to say, you know what? I'm going to find the things that are important. And every time something is put in front of me that says, hey, do this thing, stop and ask yourself, would I be better off doing more of what I'm already committed to and making those things better, making those things the absolute best they can be? Because saying no is incredibly empowering. Saying yes feels great. Saying yes to all of these things because you get used to it. When, whether it's work-related, the boss comes in, they've got a major project, it's going to make millions of dollars, but they need somebody to jump on it and help with it, and you say yes, and you make that a success, you get this reinforcement of, I did a good thing, and I, and I made the deal, and I made us a success. And when you're getting involved in your community, you know, with your schools, with your city, local government, with projects or, or boards, committees and you help them be a success, you do that by saying yes. That can be a very dangerous thing when you don't realize where your own line is and what your own capacity is. So take your time. Think stuff through. It's okay to ask somebody, hey, do you mind if I give you an answer in a week? Let me think about it. Because one part of that is, this fear, right? We call it FOMO, fear of missing out. We, we worry if I don't say yes to this thing and I'm not a part of it and it's successful without me, then I'm not going to have that. I can't hang my hat on that. Or it's going to be a fun thing or it's going to be you know something that builds on a, a, something I believe in. I, I, hate, I would hate to miss out on that. Or even I don't know what it's going to be, but I want to know. I want to be a part of that. FOMO can drive a lot of our willingness to overcommit and our desire to always have our hands dirty with that stuff. But when you stop and give yourself that time and give yourself that week, seven days, I'll get back to you. It's Tuesday. Let me talk to you by next Tuesday and I'll let you know. You sleep on it. You think about it. You think about the other projects that you've got going on, the other commitments, the things you want to do for you and to make you a success. When you give yourself that time, you realize it's okay to walk away from those things. The way I wrote it in the blog post, I said, doing less better is about making it okay to do your best work without compromise. 
because it's not a compromise to say no to something that's put in front of you. At the end of the day, it means that you are prioritizing your success and that you're committed to what matters the most for you. It's important to me. It has made me better. It has made me feel better. It has improved my energy. It has improved my outlook. And it doesn't mean giving up everything. I still have a ton of stuff going on. But I acknowledge that I have a capacity. I have a load limit. I'm like a server. A server that gets too many requests goes down. You start throwing 500 errors. Um, And believe me, when your brain starts throwing a 500 error, it's not a good feeling. And so taking that step back and... and I I joke about this, you know, I'm 37 years old, I'm I'm an old man practically in terms of web development, but the reality is it's taken me a long time to become okay. Um, I was very much a do as I say, not as I do kind of person when I would use that phrase, do less better, because I knew I wasn't doing less better. I was always trying to take care of what was in front of me regardless of whether it was going to make everything else better. So that is why I wanted to talk about this tonight. And I wanted to make sure everybody knows if you're listening to this now, it's okay to make sure you're focusing on the things that will make you a success. Because if you do that, it will. You can't be a success by trying to commit to everything that comes up. I hope that that helps. I hope that it makes you feel better. I hope that uh, it can uh, be a lesson. There's a book. I haven't read it, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. It's got very good ratings. I'm going to pick up a copy for myself because I do want to read it by John R. Bell. It's literally called Do Less Better, The Power of Strategic Sacrifice in a Complex World. Um, It's on Amazon. I'll throw a link to it in the show notes. If somebody has read it, I would love to know what you think of it. It's got five stars, so I'm going to take that to at least mean it's maybe good. Uh, I'm going to read that because I have time for that because reading makes me better and I enjoy that and I want to commit to that. That's one of the few things that I want to make sure is a priority to me because that's what will make me better. Uh, So let me know how you do less better. Is it decluttering your office? Is it focusing on one technology? Is it giving up extra, uh, you know, hobbies that you aren't really paying attention to? I have three guitars. I don't play guitar. In fact, I'm really bad at it. But I have three of them, and I don't know why. Do less better. I should get rid of those guitars. I should declutter them from my life and enjoy the fact that that lets me commit to something else. This episode of the Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by something really cool. It's an alternative to .com. It's the .design domain name. I'm a big fan of interesting, unique website names. So if you're a designer and you've thought of the perfect name for your website and it isn't available under .com, check out .design. Chances are the domain name you want is waiting for you. Head to porkbun.com and use the coupon code DRUNKENUX on the checkout page to get a free .design domain name for your website. Face it, there are no good .coms left. Years down the road, we're going to care about cool, nice URLs that are relevant to the website you're going to. And the fact that there's so many TLDs to choose from, you really can get a domain name that's right for you and right for your business. .design is a great one. Visit porkmun.com now and use the coupon code DRUNKENUX at checkout and literally get a year of a .design domain name for free. 
It's bundled with free email hosting, Whois privacy, and SSL certs. That's a lot for nothing. Forget .coms. .design is widely used. There's Airbnb.design, Facebook.design, Uber.design, Adobe.design, and so many more. Google doesn't care. It functions the same way as a .com or .org. It's just more interesting. It's better branding. It looks great on resumes or business cards, and it looks awesome on email addresses. .design reflects what you do as a designer. Did we mention it's free and includes a year of email hosting, who is privacy, and SSL certs, and all of that stuff? Just go to porkbun.com and use coupon code DRUNKENUX at checkout. Thanks for sitting down with me this week. This was sort of a fireside chat. I hope the format was fun for you. I hope you enjoyed listening. Um, if you did, let me know. Uh, if you like this format, if you think we should do this more often and, and do it with other topics, I'd love to know about that uh, because this is its a very different approach to doing an episode, and I, I like uh, experimenting and trying new things. So let me know uh, what you think about that. Uh, if you want to do that, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, we're at slash DrunkenUX, Instagram, slash DrunkenUX Podcast, Slack, just go to DrunkenUX.com slash Slack, it'll get you an invite into our Slack chat room straight away. Um, outside of that, uh, we've been saying this quite a bit, we've got a little bit left in this season, we've got a couple guests, we've got a couple topics, I'm really excited about the way we're going to end this season. I just want to throw that out there and tease it a little bit because I'm very proud of uh, what's on the way. Uh, so stay tuned for that as we get a little bit closer into December. Uh, outside of that, uh, you know, do less better. Uh, I can't say it easier. That I love it because it's only three words. I can't do that any better with less words. So do less better. Let me know how you're doing it in your life. Uh, if you... Uh, Tweet hashtag do less better. I, I follow that on Twitter because I like seeing that stuff. Um, otherwise, the other advice that I end with consistently uh, because I believe in it as well, I want to make sure that all of you out there are keeping your personas close and your users closer. Bye-bye. <laughs>